listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Sam and talking about adopting older children. Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks. It's great to be on the podcast. Oh, well, I'm very glad to have you here. Um, Sam, can you tell me a bit about yourself and a bit about your family? Oh, absolutely. So I suspect with keen listeners will hear from my accent that I'm not from the UK originally. So I, I have come from Canada and my partner and I met there and then moved to the UK in 2004. Um, and after a few years of kind of getting settled into our new lives, we started thinking a bit about adoption. So we tried, originally we tried once with our local authority, it didn't work out so well, might come back to that. And then we tried again about five years ago um, and we're successful. And so we now have two uh two children a boy and a girl a sibling pair uh who are now 13 and 14. okay so they came to you at what age uh nine and ten okay which is which is quite old for adopted children isn't it um yes it is and i guess it was very much intentional for for a few reasons one very much unlike some adopters we didn't have a sort of clear sense in our heads of what we wanted our children to be like in terms of age or any other characteristics um we just really wanted to help you know, children that needed support. So we were naturally drawn to older children because we know that the chances of being adopted, the older children get, drops off quite dramatically. Um, and also we are both older adopters. And so sort of thinking about, okay, there are already challenges in, in being adoptive parents, also challenges in being a same-sex couple. We thought, well, if we have older children, some of their peers and their parents will be closer in age, which probably just might make it a little bit easier in terms of you know, recognizing in other families things that were similar to their families. Yeah. So yeah, just making that one thing a similarity rather than yet another difference. I understand that completely. When you were thinking about adopting older children back then, what did you think the pros and cons would be? And then I guess I'm interested in whether or not those same sort of joys and challenges actually played out. So how did you think it would be? Well, I think there's very much sort of this perception that, you know, if you adopt younger children um, you get them at a more formative age, and therefore, I think one is you can influence more what they're going to be like as they get older, which you know there's a cert- there's certainly truth to that. Um, but also, there's less things that you ne- might need to undo because obviously they have may have been with a birth family or whatever the circumstances are where it might not have been all positive that you then need to kind of address and cope with. Um, it was kind of sort of the impression we got and a lot of the sort of, I think, stereotypes, because I think there are stereotypes about older children is it is harder to address some of the behaviors because they're harder ingrained. Um, you know, you um, while you might have more of a sense because obviously they can tell you more and they have a longer life experience, you know, everything that you do will just have that little bit harder grain of difficulty because you're not getting them at an earlier age. Now, in reality, I don't think that's true because I think there is an element of you have a stronger sense of what you might be getting into and be able to kind of assess how this might work in your life. And I'm sure all the doctors realize that we could only ever go so far in knowing <laughs> what's going to happen. But um, I think we did have a clearer sense of that. But also it made it slightly easier for us kind of look at profiles and look at children and talk to social workers and get a, a, a well-rounded kind of view of, uh, of the children and their circumstances and be able to assess that against us. Whereas I think often when they're young, lots of things that may have happened, health issues, 
various issues won't materialize right away. And then you kind of struggle because you're getting surprised more often. And I, I have to admit, I don't think we've been particularly surprised with what we sort of discovered and found out because I think we really understood very well um, what our children were like and their life experience before us. That's really interesting to me because when I adopted my son, he was at an age where he didn't have a conscious understanding of what was happening. But obviously for the children at the age that yours were, they would be very clear about what adoption meant, what was going to happen, how permanent it was intended to be. Did you find that, did you find those early conversations about that with them to be easy or to be difficult? And did they seem to be sort of on board with it or were they nervous about it? How was it for all of you really? It's funny because I think the early conversations were quite easy, but not so much because they necessarily understood it and were sort of bought into it is they were very much reflecting what they thought people wanted to hear. So they recognized what was happening. They recognized their ability to influence it. So we're very much, you know, yes, we should be positive about this. Yes, we should do this. Um, so the, the early conversations were really easy. It's actually the, more, the subsequent ones and more recent ones as they sort of become teenagers. And I think some of that stronger sense of identity and wanting more independence and involvement in decision-making, going back to that, is actually these conversations are now hard because they're like, well, why couldn't I have had more say? Why didn't I get to choose you? You know, all of those things. They have a very different, much more nuanced um, uh, nuanced impact now that they're adolescents, whereas when they were younger, it was really straightforward. And I guess you've arrived at adolescence really quickly, haven't you? You haven't had a decade of lead into that, like you might if you'd adopted, you know, three-year-olds. You've, you've had just a couple of years of lead in to arrive at the teenage years. That seems really scary to me. <laughs> well, I guess it's, it, you know, I guess it's always going to come. And I don't think in a lot of ways it makes much difference mm. because, you know, teenagers are going to be teenagers and, you know, whatever they're going to be like is what they're going to be like. So having had, you know, I'm now we're about we're four years on. I'm not sure it would have made any difference if I'd had 10 years. Yes. I mean, obviously there would be a, a more entrenched relationship. But I don't think it would have made much difference. And it's, I guess this is one of the things that I, you know, one of my sort of things that I always do is when it gets really, you know, tough and I'm just like, oh, how are we going to get through this? I just always step back and I go, are we further ahead than when we were three months ago? And I've yet to say no. Oh, it's right. always been yes. <laughs> and so, you know, it might only be tiny little increments, but stepping back and seeing, yes, on the journey it is getting, we're moving forward. It really helps. Um, but I have to admit, I think I've been doing that a lot more lately than I did before. <laughs> oh, that's great. One of my parenting strategies is just repeating this will pass, this will pass, this will pass. <laughs> I definitely relate. Um, yeah, indeed. So um, what else has been um, particularly, you know, particular high points or particular challenges for you? Um, I think high points is those moments when, I've been able to introduce something to my children that they've never experienced before. So, you know, I grew up skiing. So, you know, that was something I introduced them to and they'd never done it before. And interestingly, um, you know, one of my children is particularly good at it. He's okay. a real talent for it. And that never would have happened otherwise. And just seeing that sort of that joy of discovery of something new and exciting is, 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 is really great. And, you know, I, I actually have found out that I'm really good at buying clothes for girls. 
I yes, not something I'd ever really done before. Um, and it's just it's a little thing that I can share with my daughter that I really really enjoy, and it it it, it sort of it gives me something in terms of creativity and doing something for her, doing something we do together that I never really thought about. And I guess it's it's that classic one we're opening their eyes to new things and new possibilities but also they're opening our eyes to things that we didn't think about and i think a lot of times with with adoption it's all about what you can do for them and it doesn't really talk about what it does for you yes and i think it it is it is much more balanced um i love what you just said about skiing because when my son was first placed with us and i i felt quite wobbled by the whole thing really and i kept wondering like, would there have been a better family for him than us? You know, because obviously an adopted child could potentially end up anywhere. And so, like, why us? Why why would we be better for him? And I felt quite unconfident in having kind of claimed this child without a right to claim him above anybody else, really, you know? And eventually these interests emerge that fit in nicely with interests in our family and things like that. And some of his passions now he can explore because, you know, he gets on well with my eldest and they do all this stuff together. And I kind of think, yeah, maybe that's why ours. I don't mean in some big cosmic sort of fate way, but I just mean those are the things that are in him that are his passions and that he can explore here. And maybe that's why we're a really good fit, you know? So maybe you discovering skiing is a little bit like that, that it would have been something your child might never have otherwise done and and yet would have been so good at, you know? Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. And I, it's really interesting because I don't, I never really thought about why us or why would someone else be better? I guess I've always been incredibly pragmatic that, you know, this is just, this is what life is and we just have to make the absolute best of it. But I have to admit, it's certainly, um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I think there's nothing like children to show you that you're not and you can't be <laughs> because it's a constantly, constantly compromising. Um, and, you know, it's, it's quite frustrating because my son is very, very talented in multiple ways you know, and excels at some sports and things like that, like, you know, really, really, really talented, but he's not interested in them. So it doesn't show any interest in, interest in them at all. And I just think, oh, what a missed opportunity. And I just go, yes, but it's not my missed opportunity. Don't worry about it. He'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. find his way. He'll find what he wants to do. But, uh, you know, I just have to be really, you know, thrilled that actually he has his numerous talents and lots of opportunities. And, you know, there is a whole world for him to kind of explore and to find what's best for him. And when they first arrived with you because of the age that they were, um, how did that feel, that transition into your home and into becoming a family? Because obviously on day one, although you are now in a parenting role for them, certainly lots of people talk about they didn't yet feel like your children. And I imagined that to your children, you didn't yet feel like their parents. I wonder how that journey was. I mean, I think it was really obvious to all of us that, you know, we were all playing, playing the roles because you don't, you know, you know, we, we'd only met them when they came to live with us um, 10 days before. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's you you just can't no one can move that quickly in terms of doing that and it's going to you build the relationship and you build you know you build the love and you build all those connections but um it, it was it did feel quite strange because i guess in a lot of ways i, I liken it to it felt, it felt like we had long-term guests that we didn't know very well yes yeah. and you know that's perfectly you know that's fine we've all we've all had you know <laughs> guests that we didn't know very well but it is sort of that it, it's all of a sudden it's not 
our home that they're visiting. It's their home too. And I found, I think that was the hardest thing for me is I just had to keep stopping myself from kind of going, you know, this is my home. This is how the rules are. This is going to be. And yes, you have to do that as a parent, but you have to actually just immediately acknowledge that this is now their home and they have to have a say and, 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 you know, be involved in decisions and all those things. And I'm just not used to that. And that was, I think the biggest thing. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, other than, you know, wanting to paint the walls black and do some fairly random decorating <laughs> things. There weren't massive things that were a problem, but it is that just, just stopping and going, no, it's us. And it is kind of, I guess, when you go from being single to being in a relationship, except that's in, in a lot of ways should be quite balanced and quite equal, whereas the power dynamic with children is quite different. And so, yeah, I think that was probably the hardest adjustment for me. Yeah, I can understand that. Do you remember a point at which parental feeling kicked in for you? I do. I mean, it was definitely something that just developed slowly. Um, it didn't sort of, you know, one day overnight. But I just remember someone telling me about something that my son had done at, at school. Um, and it was a bit cheeky, but impressive. And I just got this sort of warm feeling and I hadn't not had that before. And, it, and, uh, and it was just sort of that, it caught me off guard. And actually, interestingly, reminded me very much of when I first thought I might want children. Cause I'm, you know, I think like many of us, we sort of thought it's not going to happen. It's too difficult. You know, the law, everything doesn't work in our favor. So just accept it's probably not going to happen. So I think I convinced myself I didn't want them. And then one day when I was walking down the street, I just looked at, you know, a woman walking with two children and just went, wow. And I got this warm feeling in my heart. And it was like, oh, that completely shocked me. <laughs> I didn't talk to my partner anyway about it for like months because it was like, it was just a complete flip to what was in my head. And it was very much like that experience. And I think there is something about remembering to leave your heart open, even if you think you're all clear in your head, because if you don't, you know, it just doesn't work. You have to adapt to what children are going to do or what they bring to your life. You just have to kind of be open to all sorts of things. So as much as I try and have all the practical stuff wrapped up in my head and make sure, you know, school and lunches and money and holidays and activities are all sorted. It's that just leave that openness to go, actually something different might happen and it might be good. That's really good. You should definitely be a parenting guru with that. That's lovely. Um, did your partner want children as well when you finally did raise it? Were you on the same page or was there a bit of persuasion going on? I wouldn't say persuasion, but definitely more reticence. Mm. I think about what what is this, you know, what what you know, what is the challenge that we're opening up? Because it, it isn't it is forever. You know, it's this isn't one of those ones we got it wrong, we can take them back. <laughs> and I think there was just that sort of apprehension that, you know, it's a massive life change and would we be able to do it? And I've always kind of, I've always very much been, you know, if, if you decide you can do something and you research it and plan it and do all those things, then, then you, and you do the best, then you'll, you'll probably be fine. So I didn't have nearly those kinds of reservations. Um, but I also took a very pragmatic view of if we throw ourselves into the process, you know, to get approved to do that, then the process should help tell us if it's right. So, you know, cause it's not a, you, you know, sign a bit of paper and you can adopt, it takes a lot of work. And so we kind of just said, well, let's go through it and see how we go. And then we just kind of at key stages tested that. I think that really conscious decision to have children is really a challenge because you can't sort of agree that it's vaguely the right time to have kids and it'll probably be fine and then get a bit lax with contraception and then there's a baby. And I know it doesn't happen for everyone that way, but 
I think for quite a few, they're sort of vaguely in the baby zone and sort of have a bit of a go and don't really expect it to work. And then it works. And it's like, oh, baby on the way, fine. But when you've got to kind of drive places and have meetings and go to information sessions and all of that, it's so conscious, all of it. It's so terrifying. It's like climbing Everest or something. Um, we sat in the car outside the fertility clinic This because our first two were um, donor conceived. And we were like, oh, my God. Should we go in or should we not go in? I don't know. Should we go in? Well, maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't. Then the other one were like, let's toss a coin. And so we tossed a coin and it came out that we should go in. And so we did. And late, lately I told my son, who's now 15, I was like, yeah, we tossed a coin. He was like, what? I'm born because you tossed a coin. I was like, yeah, pretty much. Sorry about that. So, but it was just so terrifying. You know, we just couldn't get out of the car. It was just too, too difficult. So, yeah. It, it, and it's funny because not only do you have to choose to do it, you have to choose your children. Yeah. You know, obviously social workers kind of choose you back, but you know, I, I think one of the, the worst parts of the whole process for me was looking at profiles online. It just felt like some awful mix of a speed dating process and, you know, rescue dogs because yeah. I, we've had lots of those and it just, I just felt really uncomfortable with it because it just felt so transactional and quite, faceless and we're going to have to go well how about them or them and why do we think this will work and it just it did you know I found that really that was probably the worst part of the process for me was that actually trying to identify children that we thought would be a good match um yeah I remember that as well and I think sometimes it's a no and you don't really know why I found that the hardest I found it easier if I could say no because of x but if it was just kind of I'm not feeling it for some reason. That felt appalling. It felt appalling to talk about a child in that way and to rule them out in that way. And that only happened a couple of times. We looked at lots and lots of profiles. But in the end, we kind of agreed that we would allow ourselves that, just allow an emotional response, even without trying to analyze it or talk it away or anything. Um, But then when we did find our son, it was a strong yes, emotional response. And I was really glad because I sort of needed my heart in it as well. And I think the problem with this process is, is you never have all the information, doesn't matter. So you just, sometimes you just have to go on a bit on, on instinct and, and, and a bit on just how you react and feel because it, that's the strongest indicator you're going to get until you get a lot more information, which you're never going to get until it happens. You know, so there's a little bit of, um, you know, you just do the best you can. And I think it's it's one of my kind of things that... I say to a lot of people, and I think it applies here, is you just make the best decision you can at the time and then make the next best decision. And that doesn't mean you won't undo things or, or have made a different decision, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, so don't worry about it. Make the decision, learn from it, and then make the next best one you can. And if you keep doing that, it'll get better. You know, <laughs> you, and hopefully you'll make better decisions because none of us are perfect. You know, And sometimes we just have to let ourselves make mistakes, accept them, and get better from them. You know, with children, that's really hard because you never want to do that. But we have to allow ourselves to do that. And that's true of all parents, not just adopted. adopted Indeed. Did you find your children on LinkMaker then online or did you, were they presented to you by a social worker? No, we found them. Okay. How did that feel? It was really interesting because we identified them very, very early on, but they had a, a really poor profile really lacking in detail not very much but there was something that just sort of you know reached out to us and they were there for a long time and I think we didn't really explore it because there wasn't a lot of information but we kept coming back to them and I kind of just said well we keep coming back to them let's just push this forward a little bit and just see what else we can find out and that's kind of how it worked out 
I mean, I do find that quite interesting because that sort of phenomenon of when you go looking for something and you find the thing you end up getting is the first thing you find and then you keep looking <laughs> yes. and then you go back to the first thing. And it was almost like that. I think they were the second profile that we kind of went, yeah, we think this might this might work. Yeah, and that must be a, quite a heart-based decision because in the absence of information, in the absence of a good profile, keep being pulled back is quite a heart-based thing, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely is. And, I, and it's interesting because I think part of the motivation for me was actually, you know, with what we did know, we're drawn, we were drawn to them. But also, I very much felt when you read the profile, it was sort of half-hearted attempt because they were older, not likely to get adopted, but we have to do this is kind of how it came across to me. Now, I'm not going to, I don't know that, not going to disparage any, you know, the social work or anything, but, you know, that's what, I think that was one of those things where it's like, they need me to give them a chance as well. I need to do a bit of work here. So I, you know, because they deserve that, you know, no regrets. That's lovely. I think people do worry that it's going to be much, much harder to adopt older children. And we know that from the stats as well, that so few children above the age of nine are adopted. So do you do you think then that that is just a myth, that it's harder? I, I think it's I think it's different. Um, and I think there is a certain element of, for some people, it is just easier when it's younger because actually younger children are so much more dependent on you that it, it makes it a little easier for you to kind of find your way, work out how you're going to do this without so much challenge. And I think when you get older children and, you know, the older they get, the more independence they want, the more they will challenge you. So I don't, I don't really think it's harder, but I do think it's different. But I think if you want, if you want a bit of a time to kind of feel your way in how you, your parenting style and how you're going to do that, it probably is slightly easier with younger children because I don't think they're going to be quite so conscious of that and challenge you from day one. Anything I said that didn't make sense or anything that could be seen as being hypocritical or contrary was right back at me. (laughs) And, you know, I've had quite a lot of experience with younger children and you just don't get that same level. And so it was challenging, but actually I preferred that because also older children, you can have a bit of a, you know, you can make, it's a mix of emotion and, and, and logic and, and you can do different things to try and engage. I think in a way that you can't necessarily with younger children, I think that's a positive. So, you know, on balance, I think it's different, not harder. I can understand that. And also the other thing I was wondering about was with older children coming into a family with two dads, again, for a young child, it just becomes their normal immediately. It's the only thing they've known or they don't know that it's perhaps unusual. Did you find that was something that you had to explain or do a lot of work on or had that work been done? A lot of that work had been done and because of their sort of previous experience of foster care and other things, they'd experienced some different families, although they'd never, you know, been with the same sex couple before. So some of that work had been done, but I do think it's the it's the technical understanding and then there's that what does it actually mean? So, you know some of the how do we make sure we have the right kind of support and role models for our daughter when there's no other women in the house and you know how does that all how does that all sort of work is been a little bit more challenging than i thought it would be because we do have lots of supportive women in our network but they have she has to develop that relationship and so those people might not be right for her and so that's something we're having to work on quite a bit is to kind of try and find some other people 
that she feels that she can relate to and trust. And like a lot of adopted children, both of our children are pretty slow to trust. Yes. I think that's interesting, though, the thing about raising a girl when you haven't ever been one, you know, and because I'm raising boys and I haven't ever been one. And I know what you mean, because you can have supportive people in your network and that's great. But sometimes I, I might not necessarily have the instinct for some of the social pressures put on boys. So the thing, you know, the thing about, you know, being tough and being, you know, don't be emotional and don't be this, because I haven't lived that. I can try to be sensitive to it, but I haven't necessarily got the instinct to spot it. And I guess the flip side of that might be that I would have the instinct to spot some of the social pressures that girls are put under um, that, again, might be different. That might be different messaging to children who are being raised as girls and so on. So I, I'm just I do recognize that. And I think we all know that in the assessment, we know the correct answer to the role models question is we have lots of people in our network, but we do sometimes hit a bump. And I think. I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if that's normal or not normal. I don't know if that's a concern or not. I don't, I haven't necessarily spotted a pressure that I might have done had I had that lived experience. Is that what you're finding? I think there is, it's an element. It's interesting because um, I grew up mostly with my sister and my mother. Um, My dad was away a lot, you know, working and things. So Mm. I was much closer and because the, the way we lived in the country, we did various other things. I had to deal with lots of sort of more female specific things, and but also saw a lot of that. So I can relate to it. But I think it's more understanding that everyone has to find their own relationships and the people that they want to trust and confide in. And I think I have quite a good relationship with my daughter. We can talk about a lot of stuff, but there's other things. She just needs to find the right person. I can't find that person for her. And so I think there's that. It, it's It's not even that... I couldn't understand or empathize, although some things I just, you know, obviously would be a real stretch. It's just, I'm just not the right person. And it doesn't matter that actually I'm even a man or an adopted parent. She just needs to find that person. For her right now, it is around women because of where she is in terms of her development and identity and all of those things. That's what she's, what she's missing. And it's just trying to help her find those right people when she can't really articulate what those people need to be like. Yes, I understand that. And like you say, it can be difficult for them to form those relationships because relationships have often been really transient, so they don't, or do it much more slowly or more with more reticence, I suppose. And so your your wider family is abroad, I guess. Is that right? Um, a bit of a mix. Okay. So my my in-laws are in the UK. My direct family is mixed between Canada and all over the world. Uh, but I don't have any real direct family. But I come from a relatively small family. So it, it, it does sort of have a big rambling family of lots of sort of extended. So yeah, it's, it's quite spread out. So how did you um, address the things around support network, um, both in terms of when you were assessed, how did you answer it? And then in, in practical terms, what does it actually look like for you? Well, I'll answer how we answered the question because <laughs> uh, one, I thought this was, it was a really good answer and two, it, it seemed to go over really well. Okay, good. So, I'll write it down. But I just linked it to, um, I think a concept that the LGBTQ plus community really understands is the family you choose. Yes. Um, and that absolutely is what you're doing with adoption. You know, there is a choice. And I said, you know, we, you know, I moved from Canada. I've had to choose the people who are going to support me and be part of my network. And I gave quite a lot of examples of people who are very close to me, you know, are closer to me than some of my, you know, blood relatives. Um, and just, and explaining why I chose them to be in my family and why that was important to me. 
and then kind of the context of why they're then part of thy support network. And so, you know, uh, some of them were, you know, neighbors with whom we've become very close who, who have children and trust us with their children, you know, because we've supported them. Others are some work colleagues who, um, you know, because often as you do, you work so very closely, you work well with them because actually you share some really fundamental ideas around how you treat people, your views of the world, and just sort of teasing all of that out to kind of show how that gives a really broad sort of range of support. I'm very, very committed to sort of concepts around equality, diversity, and inclusion. Um, and so I have quite a diverse network of people anyway. And I think if you you see that visibly, but then you sort of need to say, well, why is that important? You know, it isn't, it isn't about ticking boxes. It's about well, what do they do? So what do I add to them in terms of our relationship? What do they add to me? And what will that mean for my children? And actually, it wasn't, that was actually one of the smaller issues that we had in our assessment was, you know, our support networks they were kind of spread out but they they were quite full um and there were a lot there's a lot of variety in that and i think there was also we managed to say very much as we recognize that you know this is what we're thinking and we may need to put ourselves out there and go out and find other people to support us so you know part of the reason i'm doing this today is is to create some of those linkages i can understand that i think um you come into contact with different people, don't you, once you're parenting? And also once you adopt or foster, you know, you meet people through that network as well. And, yeah, I think you do gather people. Um, we had quite a friendship turnover, if you like, when we became parents and people that we thought would be around forever sort of drifted away over the first couple of years because our availability changed and our priorities changed and we were boring and tired. Um, and then we gathered new people who were in that same boat and that's been really lovely as well. So... Some of the old people remained, but there was a turnover at that stage, which was quite odd. But I guess if I'd drawn my support network at the beginning and drew it now, it would look quite different. And a lot of that is family of choice. So if Definitely. there are people out there who are thinking about adopting older children, what would your advice be? Ask all the questions, anything, even some of the silly things around what the children are like. Take advantage of the fact that they have more life experience and really explore what that life experience has been like and not not in a you know i'm trying to dig out every detail of their lives and understand every single thing and risk assess it just because the more people talk about children if they've been involved with the children themselves is it's amazing the insight you get and i think there's a real advantage to that so we made you know with ours we started knowing very little but actually it was amazing how quickly we ended up understanding quite a lot and i you know i I felt that I at least had a good starting point and a good sense of where I might be able to build connections, where I might be able to do that. So actually don't look at it as a negative, but also be really, ask people to be really honest with you. There is a little bit I did find throughout the process of people wanting to slightly gloss over, perhaps, <laughs> if I put it nicely, some of the less pleasant bits, just say, look, be really honest with me. It's not that it's about me changing my view or doing anything. I just want to understand everything I might have to deal with. And I did find that once you did that, people were so open and, you know, and the support we've had subsequently, you know, it's four years on and we still have really good support from, you know, the local authority we adopted through, the one we adopted from, uh, and that because actually they could really see that we were just trying to do everything we could. And I think it is just put yourself out there as much as you can because people will help you and people want you to succeed, but you just have to kind of just you know, take advantage of the fact that you do have older children and there's lots you can find out about them and lots that they can tell you. 
but not everything and some stuff you're just going to have to learn as you go. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I'd like to thank my guest today, Sam. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you.